Welcome to Saks Realty's Tuesday Night Podcast, where we talk about anything and everything real estate. Each week, we deliver expert information, enabling you to make better informed decisions while keeping more money in your pocket. If you're interested in real estate, this is your show. Welcome to our Tuesday Night Podcast, and I want to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving week. Only chance to do it live, right? I know, I know. It's gonna be it's gonna be days. a really fun week, and um, hopefully you guys are having lots of fun, lots of fun with your friends and family. Yeah, we got a little poll going on here. If you haven't done it, we want to know what your favorite side dish is to go with your uh, Thanksgiving dinner. I, I don't like turkey. No, you don't eat not turkey. Really. I mean, I eat it, but I I'd rather you have prefer ham. not. Yeah. Do you eat ham? I'd rather have ham. Oh. If I'm gonna eat turkey. I want dark meat. Okay, I like dark yeah. meat too. I like turkey. I, I don't like, turkey. like it dry and yeah. Yeah, but it's gonna be fun. It's okay. gonna be a fun time. Charlton says yams. Yeah, sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes. Yeah, that's one of my favorites too. But yeah, I like stuffing. Guys, we have a great show lined up tonight. Uh, we're gonna do a couple different things. Uh, since you all really liked us bringing in live callers, we've posted the link again. Should we do this again? Why not? So we're going to, if you want to be on the show and you have some things you want to say and talk about, come on, get on deck. You can click the link. We're going to show you a couple clips too from our Saturday video. Uh, I went to Puerto Rico, as you all know, uh, about, when I got back about a week ago, mm -hmm. a week and a half ago, and uh, it was a great trip. Uh, had a, just a Wonderful opportunity to meet Peter Schiff. Um, I've been following him for quite some time. And uh, he was actually one of the only ones that was calling the uh, the 08 housing crash several years before it actually happened. And uh, people thought he was crazy. And uh, he was right. But he's been following everything that's going on with our financial markets. You know, and, and I, look, I, I don't... I guess one of the, you know, important things to kind of get out is, you know, who knows who's right or wrong or what's going to happen. Um, but when I look at, you know, history over a couple of periods of time and really kind of dating back before World War II, and we start talking about like the Great Depression, and then we start to look at some of the things through uh, the you know, our modern uh, uh, times and we start to see things that happen and repeat themselves and the same mistakes and it just seems like, you know, uh, there's writing on the wall that kind of gives us indications to things that can certainly be ahead of us. And when, you know, when I had an opportunity to sit down with Peter, um, it's nice to know, you know, there's a lot of people that walk through Wall Street uh, you know, the financial markets obviously is a global market, uh, the, the stock market. And when people walk through Wall Street and actually accelerate and um, become really good at um, what they do to the point that, um, you know, 20 years later, they can look back and, and they've made a lot of people a lot of money through the ups and downs. You have to at least listen to what they had to say and especially when we're talking about people that aren't 
locked up, right? I mean, you know, obviously the, you know, Bernie Madoff or what, you know, that that type of, mm-hmm. you've got one extreme to the other. But when you look at somebody that's actually done really well for their clients and themselves and they predicted market crashes and they examine stuff, study things, you have to at least listen to what they're saying, especially when we know that things aren't right. And, and we know things are way out of whack. We know that we've never been more in debt um, as a country, but as consumers, we know that the housing market has never ballooned the way that it has over the last several years. We know that wages to home price are completely out of line. Uh, so when we start looking at things like that and our commercial market falling apart and banks collapsing and had they not been bailed out, we can't help but to consider these things. So I'm excited. We're going we're gonna to listen to a couple clips. We're going to dissect that a little bit uh, for you. Uh, we're going to talk about certain markets around the country, what they're doing tonight, uh, besides bringing in some live callers. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to dive in. We'll talk about some similarities that we see with the Great Depression, the Great Financial Crisis, or some people say the Global Financial Crisis, of 08, which is really from 07 to 2012. Um, and we hope you enjoy the show. It's a live show. You can keep your comments coming and uh, we will uh, try and answer as much as we can. Yeah. Melissa, anything you want to add? Yeah, to that? I do. It was, well, I really enjoyed the, um, the Saturday post, the podcast with you and Peter, even though I was not on the trip to Puerto Rico. But what I liked so much is that um, you guys have a lot of aligned views. You guys think very similarly. And um, and there was really no prep on that either. It was a very organic conversation. I just thought it, it, it was an hour long and it didn't even feel like it. So much value in there. And, um, and I so many comments too that feel, well, the same way that I do. So it was a, it was a good show. Yeah, and after this show, if you guys care to listen to if you haven't heard the whole video, I mean, it, it's a pretty easy listen. And, yeah, you know, a, a lot of people go back and forth with the controversy, um, you, know, uh, you know, saying that, you know, um, you know one, either one side or, or another, we're not going to see a crash. We're not going to, you know, things are only going to go up. And kind of before we get started in this, so one of the things I want to kind of say early on here is when we had the you know, the, the, the great financial crisis, the housing market collapse. I mean, I was very active in the industry. So, you know, I had a real estate team at the time uh, at a regional um, brokerage. I was also building, rehabbing, investing. Um, you know, so I was directly, you know, impacted by, you know, that time um, and, you know, navigated the water. But the the important thing that you know and i think when everybody says that it could never happen again they say two different they, they, I, sometimes i wonder if people even really realize what they're saying when they comment things or say certain things because you're not you know sometimes you're not bringing you know context to the um the conversation you're just saying never happen or you know you're it's bull or whatever crash bros or what you know whatever it is that you want to say back then it wasn't just subprime loans and if we were going to think about it being subprime loans then we'd have to say that the government is the new subprime lender 
because they're the ones that stepped up and bought all the mortgage-backed securities, dropped artificially you know, deflated interest rates, and brought on all of this debt and put people in homes. And had they not been bailing out since COVID, we would probably already be worse than the 08 crisis because of the amount of bailouts and forbearance and forgiveness and remodifications and all these things that are on the back end. But we can't stop one you know, fact is everybody says that real estate prices only go up. And if if that were the case, we wouldn't have any fallout at all. Um, and I think you're going to learn that tonight is real estate doesn't necessarily go up, um, especially when we're talking about a house that um, depreciates. And that's another, you know, people don't like to, they, they think that we're, I'm wrong when I say that, but we're going to learn a lot tonight. But let's go ahead. Let, let's listen to a clip of Peter because I just want to lay down some uh, some context for the worst conversation. So here we go. Mm -hmm. Housing recession on record was actually during the Great Depression around 1929 when home values plummeted up to 67%. Last week, I went and met with Peter Schiff, who is an American stockbroker who predicted the 2008 great financial crisis. He was actually called Dr. Doom and was made fun of as he was talking about the crisis as it was leading up to it, where things didn't make sense, just like it doesn't right now. Peter also says, as well as I believe it to be true, that we have never seen a housing bubble like this before. I'm talking about since COVID, since 2020. And in Peter Schiff's book, The Real Crash, this was revised in like 2014. And he talks about the next housing market crash and it will be so significant that not even the government will be able to save it guys sit back and relax all right so just a little bit of a taste of what we're going to get into here tonight and when 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 peter is talking about you know in his book about a you know the next crash of the government not that even the government won't be able to save it you know, there's only so much you can do for people. And I think that this is the big thing that we want to talk about the most tonight, because as we're seeing, you know, uh, delinquencies rise and, you know, this is, I mean, this is an important indicator because we know that the forbearance programs uh, are over, officially over at the end of this month. So we literally have nine days and then um, people that were the last ones to jump on the six months of no mortgage payments back at the end of May their time runs out and um so yes there's probably going to be more modification uh programs and things like that but what we have to realize is that when people are struggling to pay their home payments there's a lot of other things that they're not paying and you know um their property taxes are still due their insurance is still due uh, their home repairs are still needing to be done and when we start looking at when people are living in a house we know that even a brand new house, if you bought today, you probably don't need to really spend any significant amount of money for the first seven years. But then once you get beyond that, things start breaking, appliances wear out, uh, you start you know, replacing water heaters and uh, you're getting close to you know, maybe a furnace running out of warranty and things like that. And that's a brand new house. But when we know that these uh, people that aren't able to pay their bills are you know kind of kicking the can down the road they don't and have gone through this before they don't pay their they don't fix things because a lot of people you know believe that you know the end is 
coming for them and they're trying to stash as much cash as they can so unless the government's going to step in and start making repairs for them um, i think no matter what happens with bailouts eventually this is going to catch up the other thing that we have to pay attention to is that the government is bust i mean we're out of money i mean we have to make a deal to continue the government um, you know employees so that they get paid that we don't have a government shutdown we keep raising the debt ceiling and then as uh, a lot of what I learned with Peter and a couple, several other guys, I mean, I met with Mike Maloney, Brent Johnson, uh, another guy, James Hickman, uh, which these podcasts are coming out. Brent Johnson's the Saturday. Uh, he is the, uh, you know, uh, he created the theory, the, the dollar milkshake theory, uh, you know, talking about the dollar and the strength of the dollar and whether it will collapse. Then you've got Michael Schiff. He believes it. You know, I mean, Peter Schiff, sorry, he believes that gold, Mike, Michael Maloney, too. These people believe in, you know, gold versus the dollar. And, and uh, so listening to really uh, both perspectives of, you know, somebody saying the dollar is not going to crash and somebody saying the dollar is going to crash and not really knowing if the dollar is going to crash or not, but understanding their perspectives really shed a lot of light on the financial side of the markets, the fact that the government is in big trouble as far as they're broke. And what's happening is the debt deficit, the interest load on the debt deficit that we have will eventually outweigh the amount of taxable you know, income that they're bringing in. So, you know, several things have to happen, right? They either have to default, the government has to default or print more money. And then when they print more money, well, we know what happens with that. The dollar is devalued. Um, and then, you know, depending on whether we what we have, if, whether we have stagflation or what happens, um, it's a mess. Neither scenario is good. But the big thing is that the amount of no one ever thought about the implications that we would need to raise interest rates again. And by doing so, by raising interest rates, um, the banks have locked in on these, you know, low interest bonds, uh, these financial institutions, and they've, you know, a lot of them are like 40% of their investments or mortgage backed securities at under 4% or in a lot of them under 3% and under, you know, um, you know, and even in the twos, the high twos that these institutions every single day are losing money. These are, they either own mortgage backed securities or they're, you know, um, portfolio lenders, they actually own the loans, the mortgages. And so, you know, they're losing money on these mortgages every single day. But um, let's see if we have any questions. And I want to take yeah. some, a look at some markets around the U.S. Mm -hmm. And um, Peter did mention as far as, you know, people working their jobs, they a lot of them need to work second jobs now. He mentioned people having either a, a nighttime hustle or something to work on the weekends, and we're not getting an accurate representation of the job situation. It's a joke. It's yeah. a, I mean, it's a, it's like a freaking lie. Yep. You know, I mean, like all these job postings and things like that. I talk to people all the time and, you know, buyers, and they're trying to get new jobs. They want to make more money, and they literally will sit on, like, Indeed, or LinkedIn, and they will apply to these jobs and never hear from anybody. I mean, they'll literally apply to hundreds of jobs. So I think a lot of the jobs that are posted are bogus. What they're really trying to do is uh, they're not new jobs. They're just, you know, uh, trying to just pick the cream of the crop from other employers and recruit. 
Um, but, you know, in order for us to be able to, and, and that's the imbalance, because if you're looking at buying a house today and what was typically three to four times your income, so you make $100,000 a year individually or as a couple, and, you know, you could buy a three or $400,000 house, which up to several years ago was very, um, you know, you, you could do that, right? right? But now we know that that's not the case. It's five, six, eight times earnings is the house price. And I want to show you something on whitehouse.gov here in a minute. Um, but, you know, basically the, and, and I'm not, look, I'm not picking sides, of, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, what side of the aisle you're on. But when I look at, you know, what is the Biden-Harris administration proposing, um, you know, to help with, um, you know, the uh, the housing crisis, the affordable, you know, unaffordable, you know, housing market is they believe that we're going to take these big buildings, these office buildings and convert them into apartments, which is not helping people. I mean, people want to be owners. They don't want to be renters. That's the issue here. They, they don't want to be shoved in some, you know, um, um, you know, low budget apartment and, you know, and call it an affordable home you know, uh, where they're living on top of each other. These people want to buy a house. And the issue is, is that we're looking at, you know, what they pushed out in their press release at the end of October is how they are going to make, you know, they're going to take lower the carbon footprint, you know, build these buildings, take these office buildings that are on, you know, mass transit routes and make affordable housing. Look, we already have a glut of affordable multifamily housing coming on the market. That's going to adjust automatically. We don't need to create more of this. We have probably over a million and a half of multifamily inventory coming on in the next 12 months. Right? This is we don't need a glut of over, you know, of apartments. People want to buy into a community, they want to buy a home, they want to set down their roots, um, you know, be, become, you know, contributors to a community. Uh, and this is where we're losing that, you know, we're, we're just completely losing um, a grasp on the affordability. The flip side of it is they think that miraculously that um, people are going to make more money. Yeah. And when you look at, you know, houses, you know, going up 300 percent, wages going up 17 percent. I mean, that's not even close. And then we talk about more inflation and if the government prints more money, which they will, and it's not re really printing, it's a digital printing, right? Um, it's all fiat currency. It's a joke in itself. It's paper. But what happens is the only reason why we have confidence in it is because if we have it in our pocket and we go out and we buy something, we know that we have the confidence that the, the paper in our pocket, we can buy something. Well, what happens when that becomes more expensive and your paper in your pocket becomes less valuable you know that's not helping jobs i mean that just because prices go up and we have hyperinflation that's a disaster in itself we're already in a point that we can't sustain any more inflation mm -hmm. we've already financed our education financed our groceries financed our fuel financed our utilities financed our clothes on our back um financed our transportation finance you know i mean we can't afford to have more inflation. And then we hear this crap going on right now about how the Fed's gonna, gonna drop interest rates. I mean, you know, and they said that they plunged last week. They went down like a half a point. Yeah.
Is that I, that's not enough? We're still at seven point nine or whatever. You know, for a decent, we'll show you that. But it's we're not. This is a joke. There's so much frustration. So I am daily talking to audience, you know, viewers, watchers of the show, people that reach out. They're either renewing their lease or they're moving in um, with friends or family. A lot of them are doing that. And because it's just too risky for them right now. And it it's hard to listen to. I mean, it's hard to not feel that, you know, it's so unfortunate that this is where we are right now. But that's just the case of what it is. Yeah, it's a bunch of freaking lies. Is what it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know. Anyway, let's. I, I want to show you guys. We're going to talk about last week. We covered some markets, and I just want to kind of circle back around on some of those markets. <clears throat> Include a couple new markets uh, here for you, but I want to check out. So there's a company called Altos. You can go online. You can register for it for free. You can check out. They'll have your email address. They'll probably send you a bunch of spam, but um, we're subscribed to it. And uh, let's pull up, uh, Joe, let's pull up the Philadelphia. We'll start with the Philly market. Uh, just kind of showing you what's going on. We have a, um, uh, we talked to a broker today that said Philadelphia, you know, things are just sailing right along. And uh, last week I showed you that Philadelphia was one of the worst markets in the country for price reductions. I mean, active inventory, um, over 50% um, of their inventory uh, last week had price decreases. This week, 47%. So not much um, improvement on that. But if we look at, oh, this is Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, hang on, we're technical difficulty here. Philadelphia, here we go. There we go. Uh, price decreases, 50%. There we go. So right on right on track. So last week it was 50%. This week, 50%. Uh, but what this, what Altos does, and I don't get paid by these guys. I'm not promoting them for any other reason. It, it's just, this is, seems to be one of the tools that happens to be halfway decent, um, you know, that I can just readily go on. And when somebody says, you know, they call, you know, bs or whatever we can go on and say hey well let's see what's going on here uh but um philadelphia pennsylvania this little meter here um it's getting to what's called a buyer's market right mm -hmm. i mean we've been seeing things over on that right side seller's market uh but you can see here you know let's just take a look at you know um the median price i mean you can see that's tanking two hundred fifty-five thousand median list price median price in new listings now a lot of people will say, like, what's the difference between a median and an average? So, you know, and I will just kind of talk about that. A median means that you're right in the middle of it all. So you've got an equal amount of properties higher and an equal amount of properties lower price. So that's a median price. When we're talking about an average price, what you do is you take all of the prices and you clump them together and you divide it by however many that you included in your in your metric and that's an average price so when we're looking at like average days on the market that's all the houses combined divided by the you know the all the days on the market divided by the amount of houses and that's how they come up with the difference between average and median but the important thing to know here is square foot prices are dipping back down again there was a little you know uh you know increase in um, the spring where we, you know, and we always see that no matter whether we're looking back at 2006, 2007, or whether we go back into the eight, you know, the, the, the late 80s or early 90s, when we start to see that there is a 
you've got exuberance on one hand and you've got supply and you know and and demand right and the exuberance is when you're coming off a really hot market you still have a fair amount of people that are really excited right so what happens is when we start to get a market shift we get a, like a shock to the system you know we get an increase in interest rates you know the fed starts raising rates what we have is you know we have the people that are just you know, still in that exuberance phase and they kind of keep things elevated or you'll have a period of shock and then they'll get back to the market. And and then since then, we started to see, you know, the rest of this year, even a downward decline as far as buyer demand as interest rates went up and as the market is softening. You know, when they're talking about, you know, the prices, the, the devil's in the details here, when they're talking about price increases still going up and that this is still the better October or the better November or whatever, you know, it's really hard. It's easy for them to do this kind of stuff because you're not comparing two exact products side by side. So the, 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 the devil is really in the details, right? When we're looking at the fact that, what did that house sell for today and what would it have sold for that exact house in April of 2022 and it would have sold for much higher. So when we're looking, we're boots on the ground, we're in the real estate space, I'm valuing properties. I went out today and looked at properties half the day, uh, you know, doing broker price opinions and, you know, valuing at that property at today's market I certainly know that back in 2022 in April or before even going into 21, these properties would have sold for, in a lot of cases, 20% or 30% more than what we can get for them today. So it's kind of like these are the processes that's happening. Real estate is not a fast-moving crash. It's not a fast-moving decline. When we look back and we look at the history, it's something that takes two or three years to get going. And despite what you're hearing in the mainstream media, you know, if all of these indicators are showing true as to where we are really headed, if we didn't have stimulus, we didn't have bailout, we didn't, you know, have, I mean, even if interest rates dropped to six and a half percent, People, it, they couldn't afford these prices at six and a half percent when we were coming up from, you know, three percent or four percent, four and a half percent. You know, just adding even. So what they may trick try and trick you into is a six and a half percent rate is fantastic. The numbers still don't work for most of the buyers out there. They're making less money. Wages are softening, not strengthening, and we have more people now getting second and third jobs than we ever have before mm -hmm. so let's go ahead and take a look at a couple more of these markets we'll just run through them real quick um if it's a market that is you know catches your attention uh if not you know if you guys want to drop if you don't want to go do the research and put your email address in and get spammed uh potentially from the company uh, send us a specific market yeah send so, us an yeah. email and we'll yep. we'll get you some information on it um and by the way guys if you're out there and you're looking for a real estate help an agent buying or selling, you can reach out to us too. Uh, we've got it already on our website. We have a brand new uh, website and brand new program 
uh, where we uh, are, you know, um, bringing top agents on as uh, our referral uh, network, and we can help you. So if you're not represented, Joe's showing you right now is our website that's been up for a couple months now. Um, so it's it's kind of cool, kind of really neat, interactive. A lot of people really, what we're seeing is a lot of you are logging on as sellers and trying to find out what your home is worth. We have some really cool third-party apps in there. We don't spam you. Um, I can tell you that. We're not interested in spamming you. So, But anyway, let's go back to the Atlanta, Georgia market. Uh, but if you guys need help, just reach out. Atlanta, Georgia, again, you can start to see, guys, when we were looking at this, you know, Altos Research, uh, you know, data maps, even six months ago, they, you were way mm. on the right side, at least straight up and down in the 55, 60, and a lot of these markets where it was still a very strong seller's market. Uh, we're getting really close, but it's not just the fact of a buyer's or seller's market. The sellers are just stubborn. You know, they realize as days on the market are jumping up, what they're doing is they're either, you know, deciding to take their home off the you know, market completely um, so that they're not dropping the price and hoping that the spring is going to be different. I don't think it will be. I think that we're going to be in a worse market for sellers in the springtime because I think it's going to be a lot of competition. It's just my opinion. But let's look at this median price. And Joe, just hover over what August was. The far left side there is in that line there, Joe. The far left, go to the left of that line is August. Your other left, all the way over. Yeah, there, yeah, there you go to the left. Four. All right, there we go. August fourth, four fifty nine five. We're at four forty nine nine. Right, median list price. So the list prices, just like I said, this was in August. Twenty two would have been way higher, but list prices, prices are coming down. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, prices per square foot. You could see that you're two forty one average price per square foot. Days on the market, guys. Ninety days. You know, median days, 53. This is big. Mm -hmm. I mean, these houses in Atlanta, Georgia, they wouldn't be on the market, you know, but a couple hours. So when we're looking at, you know, uh, this is this is pretty significant. 47% of listings, price decrease. Only 5% had price increase. And the price increases, what we're seeing is the games from the home builders. So what the, the home builders are doing is they're playing these games with the houses um, where they're raising prices. Um, to offer a lot of them are raising the prices to offer more concessions and you know like you're not educated enough to know you know in the multiple list that that model or whatever just went up twenty five thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars and now all of a sudden when you go in the sales office they're going to say to you hey we got this great incentive program that will give you a finished basement or we'll do this or that or whatever um but let's go on jacksonville florida another market we've been tracking kind of close a lot of people in florida you know they 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 uh, they think that their market is just never gonna is never gonna fail uh, because of their policies. And I got I have news for you. The problem with Florida is there's no jobs. Uh, you're either you know retired or you're working for the people that are retired. I was talking with one of my uh, agent that used to be with me that moved to Florida and is now doing roofing. And um, you know I was talking to him, and uh, you know he was telling me you know he's dating this. Uh, you know, woman and, um, you know, she's, I don't know, in her thirties and, um, she works at a bar, she's mm -hmm. a bartender and, mm -hmm. you know, he's kind of upset at that. I'm like, dude, what do you want her to do? I mean, you know, like that's the market there. I mean, people work at bars and restaurants, make a thousand dollars a night. Some, you know, I mean, what yeah. they make two, yeah, you know, true. really good money. Um, if you're in a really nice place, 
but the the issue is you know that's your life i mean what is in florida if you're in orlando maybe you have medical city medical park or whatever they call call it that they built there but that's the issue so let's look at jacksonville so when we're looking at the florida market i personally think they have a lot bigger problems besides the fact that their insurances are being canceled depending right. on where they are um you know sinkholes um you know, no jobs uh, they're priced out. Floridians, if there are any original Floridians, are pissed off because of domestic migration. I think everybody migrated from somewhere, but you know they've watched it over the last couple of years. People from up north, people from out west, coming to Florida, and you know the prices are tripling and quadrupling, and they're upset because they're on fixed incomes and things like that. A lot of the retirees. I mean, you could buy a place in Florida for under $200,000, a single family house a couple of years ago. And now that same house is 550. Yeah, not it's like crazy. anymore. Mm -hmm. But you can see here, median list prices drop big time. I personally think, you know, Jacksonville, Florida is a little bit north, but you know, as we start still a very desirable area, as we start to see these, the, the market uh, coming down here, we can see days on market, median days, 56, 80, average days on market guys this is just this is buyers slamming on the brakes saying i just can't afford it mm -hmm. san antonio texas another hot market uh you know uh we've been tracking a bunch of you know a lot of texas we think houston uh, you know uh, uh dallas fort worth i mean you know there's going to be a huge amount of inventory because dallas was really big on short-term rentals they just banned them now so there's a lot of people who are going to be liquidating these uh you know furnished um you know uh short-term rentals uh, they're not gonna they're gonna turn them into long-term rentals they're gonna get destroyed uh you know these people are gonna be out of the market when they realize it's not the money that they thought it was but look at this look at the median price tank you know uh slow burn right there okay, what was that? um and you know since since august since august 334 yeah mm. so i mean you're really looking and you know i mean that's you know it's twenty thousand mm -hmm. dollars on a three hundred thousand dollar house that's getting there, right? Mm -hmm. And they, we're at the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> mm -hmm. I hate to tell you all this. We're at the tip of the iceberg. I don't think the debt crisis is going to get any better for consumers just because they reduced interest rates. They reduced interest rates prior to the 2008 cra crash, and it didn't work. It was too little, too late. What they should have done is raised interest rates long ago. Yeah. It, it's tool that the Fed has is destroying our economy completely destroying i think the fed should stay out of everybody's business and let itself correct like i we were showing in some of those charts researching back to the eight you know 1700s in the u.s you know prices would get we'd have these inflationary times these bubbles markets would get out of whack boom they'd correct themselves in two years a little bit of pain everything's corrected yeah. but it wasn't until we started you know after you know, the 70s when we got into like 80s, the Volcker effect where the cycles became more like decades instead of every two years. And that was just because the Fed and the government was just injecting, you know, these, this false stimulus um, because, you know, it's, it's interesting. They're only concerned about what happens on their watch. Of course. You know, so however long they're in office. Do you see more stimulus coming in the next... As far as the paychecks going to the households, do you see that coming in the next, I don't know, six months? No. No, I mean, ne nobody sees that in the next six months. If anybody that I spoke with, met with, 
Um, and these are financial guys. I mean, these are Wall Street analysts. These are some of the top analysts in the world. Um, you know, uh, Brent Johnson, I mean, Santiago Capital, that's Saturday's video is going to be mind-blowing. You guys are going to love to hear uh, what he has to say about whether the dollar is going to collapse. I think everybody is kind of under, um, you know, uh, are, are thinking that uh, next year we're going to have, you know, a crap slinging contest mm -hmm. right uh you know on how bad we can make it you know we're gonna have one end that wants to prop things up we're gonna have the other end that's gonna want things to be terrible because let's face it i mean when obama took you know in his first term when he took over he adopted the housing crash the global and great financial crisis that was boom right in his lap mm -hmm. i think that's gonna why we put the thumbnail of the great depression of 2025 i think we're gonna see a burn you know, through the next year of just really tough times, a hard, you know, kind of a, you know, they're going to try and make a soft landing. It's only my opinion. I think the housing market's going to remain weak because the affordability is terrible. And I think that no matter how many cheerleaders you have out there, unless they drop rates back to 4%, which would be idiotic and guaranteed it's not going to, I mean, nobody's talking about it before the second quarter like in the first quarter second quarter of next year if they're leaning towards it at all and even if they reduced it to something crazy i'm i think number one we would have to be in a massive crisis in order for them to do that and then it's going to be too late yeah because it won't matter i mean when people are out of money they're out of money so and the government can't print more money to airdrop or helicopter everybody well maybe they can but i i, I don't see it Let's look at Las Vegas. Did we look at San Antonio, Texas? Yeah, we did. Yes. All right, there we go. Las Vegas. Here's this Las Vegas, guys. Back in the 08 crisis, there were whole streets that were abandoned. I mean, streets. It seems to be holding its own as far as the market on this chart. But if we look at the real-time market profile, it's completely disintegrating. I mean, look at the median list price drop. I'm curious, what is it? Yep, five six. Right, the price per square foot is kind of holding strong, which is telling you that it's based on what size houses are selling. You know, that's that's keeping that square foot price up. But look at the average days on market, 132. Mm. I mean, once we start to get to 180, guys, it's game over. Mm. It is game over for the sellers. And this is, guys, this is the tip of the iceberg, I believe. Tip yeah. of the iceberg. All right, let's take a look at Phoenix, Arizona. Here's a market that surprises me, actually. I, I would wow. think that Phoenix, Arizona would have already, you know, you know, really tanked by now. Um, we're seeing days on market. Median list price is tanking, but the median price of new listings is kind of flat, a little bit of up and down. Uh, square foot price hasn't really dropped that much. Um, days on the market, you know, not. I'm surprised at this market. I don't know what's going to I would have guessed Phoenix, Arizona would have already crashed big time. I didn't really realize that Arizona was meant for people to live. It's a freaking desert. Mm-hmm. Very if interesting. If you want anything green, you have to water it. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Let's check that out. And then uh, let's see here. 
All right. Tulsa, Oklahoma. We have an agent that's out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We'll shout out to her, Sabrina. Sabrina. Um, if you guys are interested in the uh, in the Tulsa market, she is the expert on Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. They still have. I mean, look at this median price three forty four nine fifty. Um, new listings two sixty nine. I mean, this has to be some of the most affordable real estate in the country. But look at that ninety six days average days on market, guys. I mean, this is just this is this is just expanding like we haven't seen. Well, very interesting finding on the Phoenix market, but all of the needles are trending to the buyer's market, um, which I just find to be, you know, I'm not surprised. No, it's com- it. it's coming. Yeah. It's coming. I mean, unless, like I said, the big thing is, you know, wages. If we, we would have to see massive wage, wage growth for people. Um, you know, I'm meeting with people. I just had a, a listing appointment on Saturday. And, you know, people that are, they bought in 2020 and they want to sell and they're going to become renters. They're going to sell their house and they're going to rent, um, you know, not digging too much into it. But the more people that we talk to, uh, they, despite the fact that they have a low interest rate and that they bought at a really optimal time, you wouldn't have thought that. 2019, we were headed into a recession and then the pandemic saved the day. I don't mean that like that was a good thing to happen. I'm just talking about it saved the recession at the time because of the stimulus, because we had no idea what what was going on. Um, But even despite the fact of buying in 2020, a lot of these buyers, they just can't afford it. You know, they can't afford their taxes that have gone up, their insurance have gone up. I mean, I have one of the properties that I own. It went up 40% from uh, 22 to 23, and now I'm another 23% from 23 to 24 and this is after price shopping on um and this is in maryland we don't have bad weather uh too much bad weather in maryland um we do have joe a, i know we have go ahead let's take some questions and, and i know have, joe we had we another clip there too that we wanted well. to uh i don't know where let's see that what did go you ahead. want to do you want to take the viewer yet we have somebody on deck we do Peter, do we want to bring him in at this point? Sure. Okay, awesome. Let's bring Peter in. Okay. Fun. Hey, guys. Good to see you. Hey, Peter, Peter. What's happening, man? You? Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Chicago. All right. What's yeah, going so on I, I want to talk with you about uh, kind of three different subjects, but very important to me and I think um, viewers as well. So I, I would like to bring up the importance of guests you're bringing into the show. Um, just background story. Um, three, four years ago, I was a... Uh, I was a regular Joe Schmo. I would call myself like that, non-financially educated. And Peter Schiff brought my attention to financial world. He educated me and got me interested by being on Joe Rogan's show about how the financial world system operates and functions and got me curious, right? Uh, then the Peter Schiff, I mean, Peter, Peter Schiff was the first person and Mike Maloney and his hidden secrets of money. I think this show, it, it should be mandatory in schools for everybody to watch and educate and every every family should watch it so they can understand how how the world operates and uh then you know then basically google start bringing all those the google algorithm kicked in and start bringing all those names like daniel di martino booth and george gam and on those youtube people that basically teach everybody and, and kind of make them aware 
how how the world world operates and 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 guys because of all those shows and all this knowledge um you know i got into real estate and and basically being living with my parents basement at you know 30 something years old i was 40 years real estate virgin i call myself this way you know and this this knowledge make me dive into the understanding the importance of saving money saving money in silver gold going into real estate building your assets and basically better yourself i think it's very important what you guys do so i really appreciate you bringing those guests because in my opinion these are like really really important guests and i'm very happy you guys exposing this to the broader audience so i want to thank you for that really peter yeah i mean you know the problem is is that we're, we're a society of you know we, we're in debt we want we want it today and we want to pay for it uh, over time and you know i think that a lot of um you know the, the finance people you know like mike the michael maloney's and the peter Schiff. i mean they look they make money that way because you know um that's how the banks make money i mean that's how you know um if they can get us in debt so i think the the key you're right i mean mike maloney um you know if you understand the the money side of things you could do a lot better any real estate questions um actually yes uh, you you point of view on uh, net zero homes like um i just attended like a build show in chicago and basically there was a lot of lot of uh different seminars about sustainability basically government was telling us you know what they're gonna like to do in the future with with commercial real estate and, and residential estate uh, and i would like to know you know your thoughts because me currently what i'm doing i'm I'm retrofitting my 1954 home that was leaking air and I'm remodeling from ground up and, and I'm improving it to meet the new codes and new standards, meaning I'm putting like a new technology, heat pumps, you know, um, uh, the zip system sheeting with insulation to improve the R value on a, on a, on a, on a house. You know, the house is designed differently, even though it was designed in 50s, but it was designed by Polish Jew architect where, you know, you have a six inch, six inches insulation foam on the roof. It's a, it's a silicon coated roof. It's very, you know, it's UV resistant, doesn't get so warm in the summer. I barely use them to use AC and now with the tight envelope, you know, I'm pretty much trying to make a net zero home out of really outdated home. And I would like to know what your thoughts are long term um, with, uh, with this kind of movement. Also, I own some real estate and it's a rentals and I get approached, I would say three to four times per day with nonprofit organization trying to trying to basically accommodate those migrants into my property. And there are programs in Chicago right now, nonprofit, they pay you six months in advance. They literally want to put six, uh, six tenants in the property, but it's three different families. If you have a three bedroom, two bathroom. And great, they pay you six months in advance, but the question I always ask them, like, what's what's gonna happen after? Because great, you guys are gonna pay me six months in advance, but these people don't have social security. I don't know how to evict them, you know? There's no, uh, they're not uh, legally permitted to work. And, and what happens with the damages? If the property gonna get damaged and who's gonna cover that cost, you know? So it's a big question mark for me about that. So I would like to know how would you handle that kind of, uh, situation yeah. 
Well, I can tell you as far as the energy, uh, you know, codes and things like that and housing, I think that uh, lobbyists do a hell of a good job in getting their products jammed down the throats of uh, us here in America. And, you know, I'm, um, you know, I've, I've built houses, you know, I think a lot of it is, is not practical. I think that, uh, you know, it's, you know, um, I think a little bit of air movement, fresh air from outside is good for a house to breathe. Uh, you know, we're, we're um, I think we're hitting a, a gnat with a sledgehammer and that may, you know, upset some people that are into all this green energy stuff. I think also that um, it needs to be if they're going to if they're going to expect us here in the United States to, you know, retrofit and do all this expensive um, you know, there's, there's these cost burdens that keep our home prices elevated, they don't save us money. Uh, when you look at uh, solar, for example, it's very expensive. You get all these people that go out, they put government incentives, everybody goes out and leases these solar panels and nobody wants to buy their house because, you know, if they don't want to live there forever, who wants to go in and, and you know, pay an expensive lease for the for 25 more years um, so they don't educate these sellers that if they're not buying the stuff outright, um, they're really, you know, destroying their equity positions and they, when they sell a house. You know, I think it's all great if we want to get on board together as a world, you know, um, you know, um, you know, ec economy and, and uh, with a green initiative. But, you know, to, to jam this down our throats why, uh, while all, all the other countries do whatever they want. And, um, you know, it's just, it's excessive cost burdens to us, I think. So I'm not, I'm not for a lot of it. I can tell you that. Um, and, you know, and I, like I said, I mean, that may upset some, some tree huggers, but, um, I, I think that it, we have a bigger problem with, um, you know, producing lithium for batteries than we do, you know, producing fossil fuels that, uh, that we've been using forever. But anyway, um, as far as your tenants, I can't help you with that. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, look, you know, uh, it's, it appears that we're busing and trucking uh, people to different states and cities all over the place. And, uh, you know, what are we doing with, you know, uh, open borders? And, you know, uh, you know, if you want to put 10 people in your house and collect a check for six months and figure out how you're going to get them out later, I don't know what to tell you with that, honestly, you know. But, uh, you know, there's some big issues that we have here. But I wish you the best, man. I appreciate you calling in. And, uh, yeah. Thank you, God Pierre. bless you. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, guys. Okay, Thank buddy. you. Bye-bye. All right. Let's take a little clip. I, I may have made him upset on that. I don't know. I hope not, you know. I mean, it's... Todd, you keep it real. <laughs> you know? I mean. I don't want the government telling me that I have to put you know, rip my siding off because I'm building an addition on my house and put another inch and a half foam on the outside because I don't meet the energy code of today. Mm -hmm. I have a 1970s house. I want to build an addition. I mean, just tell it like it is. It's just ridiculous yes. in my opinion. Yes. Anyway. Anyway. Let's play, a, let's play a clip because I want you guys, I want to stay engaged on our narrative here. Um, but I want you guys, and I want—I do want you to watch this uh, video on your own if you haven't already done so. But I, I, let's keep going. Mm -hmm. Sustain the well. Yeah, there, there's going to be people, even with a low mortgage, that can't make the payment, right? Because um, they lost their job, 
or you know they they have a job but it's doesn't you know they're, they're not earning as much uh and so there's still going to be people walking away there's still going to be foreclosures although does that crash price one of the things that happens too and this is you know this happened before people will decide they're just going to stop making their mortgage payments and they're not going anywhere because but it could take the bank years to to get you out of there and especially if you know the government comes in with some kind of forbearance well you can't evict anybody you can't foreclose on anybody because oh it's a it's an economic emergency so you create another moral hazard but the other thing that happens too when people have negative equity in their homes um they don't make repairs <laughs> they you know they just you know, sometimes they don't even pay their ta their property taxes because it just you know it's, it just adds on to what they is. may leave anyway so yeah. why spend any money that they have I know. I mean, and what happened too, and I, this is one of the things that I predicted even before 08 is that people, once they knew that they were going to default on their home, they started, you know, they taking the plumbing, you know, they figured, Hey, I, I you know, they take the fixtures out, you know, start selling it, you know, it. uh, you know, cause by the time the bank got the house back, there was, it was an empty shell and I, you know, you can't really sue the homeowner for the way he used his property. It's like there's what no happened proof to your, what that happened he to the it. granite what happened to the granite countertops <laughs> you know, I saw so much of this yeah <laughs> you know what happened to the to the you know to the appliances you know that what happened to the copper plumbing <laughs> that was in the house uh yeah so it's it's it, it's a very uh precarious situation you know for the lenders but again the thing that's going to happen also this time is very high inflation so in nominal terms prices might not drop a lot but in real terms right if you want to compare what does a house cost compared to you know a bag of groceries you know or a gallon of gas you know you're going to see that the the, the the real price of real estate has come down dramatically you know a better way to yeah so i think that is a really interesting point that peter made there was you know uh that he's expecting hyperinflation and i think that what's going to happen is uh when we have hyperinflation and we don't have hyper wage growth which i think is going to be why we're going to experience a, a massive crisis is because people just won't be able to afford uh, the necessities let alone to be able to pay the home prices so you know who's going to buy the houses and i think that's the big thing and when he's talking about you know uh back in 08 uh, when people were literally stripping their houses down. I mean, we would go into a house and there would be no plumbing, copper plumbing. They would literally sell the fixtures. They would sell the toilet, the vanity, the you name it. They would take it. Um, you know, I, I strip out the appliances, the water heaters, the furnaces are gone. Uh, you know, the outside air conditioning units, I mean, gone. And so I think that what we're going to come into um, in the next, you know, 12 months is we're going to start to see a lot of this return where people you know they haven't paid their mortgage they've been in forbearance they even did a remodification and they still can't afford the house um, but let's just talk about the sellers today because what we're seeing is a uptick in distressed sellers in general and um you know distressed seller means that you have to sell for whatever reason it doesn't mean that your house is in bad shape and what we're starting to see is where 
people are migrating. We, we talk about, you know, the domestic migration. We talked about Florida. We're seeing a lot of parents now are moving closer to their kids. Their kids graduated from college. They moved to North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, you know, wherever, California. And they're living in certain states. And I have somebody, I'm getting ready to list the house right now. They're moving to South Carolina. And, you know, they called me up over the weekend and said, hey, we're not going to wait to the spring. We're going to do it now. We got a deal on a brand new construction in South Carolina. And now we want to sell within the next 30 days. That's a distressed seller, right? So that is somebody that has made up their mind that they no longer want to be in their property. And despite interest rates, despite it being December next week, you know, they're ready to put their house on the market right now because they have other motivation you know, uh, other motivating circumstances to move them on. And this is a, this is pent up. So we have a lot of the sellers right now that are like, you know, they've been waiting because they're hoping that the interest rates drop down. So this has been now for like a year. So we're one of the reasons why I think we're seeing the, in, the increase is, you know, we're getting these sellers now that are distressed or either not paying their mortgage they either, you know, um, are underwater and don't care. They need, they want to relocate for jobs or they want to move for family. This is the calls that we're starting to get right now. And, you know, I think that's what's going to really propel a, you know, the, the more competition and, you know, start driving and putting more downward pre pressure on prices. I don't think that these people are going to be willing to wait uh, for interest rates to hopefully go to 4%. Mm -hmm. I I have conversations with people about that. I have conversations with people that they're like, you know what? I don't even care what the rate is right now. This is what I can afford. This is what I feel comfortable with. I'm moving forward is what it is. And that's it. Yep. All right, let's take some questions. Okay. We do have a super cash that I would like to mention here first. Okay, here it is right here. Awesome. I put 50000 on ProShares short real estate ETF inverse ETF. Am I stupid for trying to time the market? You know, um, I mean, it is hard to tell somebody whether to time the market, you know, or how to time the market, you know, it depends on what your motivation is. I mean, if you're, if you are, um, you know, renting right now, you're comfortable. Um, you know, I think it's wise to try and hold out at least until the spring market see what what happens over the next two or three months with the economy um i don't think that we're going to see an instant you know increase in price uh if the rates drop all the way down tomorrow which they're not going to uh, i still think we're still in the same situation here where people are wondering if the prices are going to continue to de to decline so I, I mean, if you're in a position where you can wait, just wait, you know, till the spring market, March, April, and see where things are. As far as the, you know, ETFs, the inverse ETFs, I don't know anything about it. So, you mm -hmm. know, I can't appreciate your comment, your super chat, but um, I, I, I can't advise you on that. We do have some more questions. Um, really quickly, how do I get a Saks Realty quarter zip? You can go to saxrealty.shop. We'll be gladly to send that sale. out to you. Yeah. yeah. And you can ask if Charlton, not Charlton, who? Um, Cameron. Cameron. Cameron Jenkins. He's on here in the chat somewhere. 
we sent him an extra, extra large. He bought one. Yeah. Yeah. So sure he, did. He keeps telling me he's going to wear it and send us a picture or something. Or, I know. We haven't seen it yet. Come on, Cameron. Haven't seen it yet. But let's um, take another comment here. Mike Maloney posted a new video today calling this the biggest housing bubble in history with charts and data that shows the madness. Yeah. I mean, it's it doesn't make sense. So, you know, when people are like, home prices are never going to come down. Well, I don't know. I don't know what to I don't know what to say other than it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Salaries, people can't afford it. If you're in the business and you're working and talking to people and they're like, yeah, I can't afford it. You know, my, my situation is getting worse every day, not better. You know, my credit card debt's higher. You know, my car insurance is higher. My car payment is $1,000 a month because they need a car to go back and forth to work. I mean, you know, a bag of groceries, a hundred bucks. Yeah. You know, it's idiotic. I mean, that, the fact that we're even having this conversation is just, you know, why we're not doing something about it like now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How about this question? It's a little off track, but I definitely should be addressed. Todd, I've heard you say that you are not a fan of condominium home ownership. Please elaborate on why not. Thank you. I don't like HOAs either. Um, that's just a personal preference. I mean, I, I, if you haven't been able to tell, I don't really like to be told what I can and cannot do with my property, which is one of the reasons why I don't like them trying to jam the fact that I can't have a gas stove in my house. When, if you like to cook on a stove top, you know, that gas is the best. If you like to cook, if you're you know, um, if you enjoy that at all, if cooking is a hobby for you, if you are living in a cold climate area, you know that a gas or oil furnace is the most comfortable heat. Don't give me this crap about how these variable speed controlled electric heat pumps are good when your temperature gets down to 20 degrees or five degrees. Especially if you, if you live like that, you're gonna walk. You're gonna live with a sweater on, and a knit hat, in your own house, or you're gonna pay a thousand dollars a month to heat it because you're gonna be on emergency heat. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But when you're dealing with condominium or HOA regimes, and this is the way that this is the way these builders build these amenity rich neighborhoods and give you a pool and a gym and a you know these walking trails that need to be maintained and all these things tennis courts i mean these are great if you you know want that the problem is is that people get on these boards because they have their own agendas their own money spending agendas or they want to change things so they they send out these proxies and you vote for your next board at the HOA or the condominium association. And these people control how much your fees go up every single month based on their spending, or they control it in the opposite end and keep your place deprived. Well, when you have high condo and high HOA fees, your resale value is terrible. You know, so now it's a competition of, okay, well, how cheap can we make these 
you know, if you get the right board, like, can we keep the 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 fees low? Well, the problem is when the builders and the developers build these condos and HOAs, they're not realistic with what those fees should be every month. And when they finally, and they keep them low, like you go to buy the house, they're like, oh, this is great. Your HOA fees are only $126 a month. You move in, the community's finished a year later. They realize, huh, we don't have enough to maintain it. Costs have gone up, contractors, snow plowing, grass cutting, blah, blah, blah. Now it's gonna be 250 or $300 a month. You don't have a choice. You have no say in it, right? And then you have an architectural committee. I remember one time I had a house. Um, what was the name of that? Was it? I forget. It was a last flip that I did years and years ago. I oh, I remember. That, so. Yeah, it was. In a, in a, I wanted to do something. I wanted to paint the siding. Oh yeah. I had to go through this architectural committee. I had to go through, you know, showing them the colors. It had to be approved. Mm -hmm. Like, not freaking painting it purple. It will look great. It matches the community. It took like eight weeks to get paint approved, you know, and then I put a deck on the house. I had to give them all the materials, show them everything I was going to do. What kind of railings are there? Are you going to stain it? Blah, blah, blah. With condominiums, you can have a situation where it's a condo and an HOA. We have that here in Maryland. You know, we have a master association fee. Yeah. You know, that you pay CA or, you know, plan unit development and Timonium right up the street. You pay a HOA fee, you pay a condo, condo fee. Expensive. And it, your fees, 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 fees. These yeah. are things that you can't control the cost of. So I don't like that personally. Mm -hmm. And then we did have a question here, which is a follow up. Brad, what condo or townhome doesn't have an HOA? They don't have to. Um, I mean, most most townhomes and condos. I mean, you have a con. If it's a condo, you have a you've got a manage. You know, you've got a set of documents that govern it. That's how the ownership is set up. You have to have a an association. Um, there are townhome communities that are older that I've seen. Okay. Where and I'm talking about Maryland. I don't know about the rest of the country, but um, in Maryland, um, if it's a condo, you've you. Now you have to have reserve studies. I mean, you have an association. You got a condominium association. If you have an HOA, some of them have very loose, uh, you know, uh, voluntary HOAs. Um, that's mostly single family, though. I can't pinpoint an exact neighborhood mm -hmm. that, off the top of my head here, that doesn't have a some type of HOA, even if it's minimal. You know, a lot of HOAs. Will they and they can rewrite this? So, I'll give you an example here. A lot of homeowners associations, if it's a townhome, there's a set amount of space around the house. If you're an end unit that you have to maintain, you have to cut the grass, blah blah blah. They can change that so they can actually say, Right now, we're gonna have we're gonna change the rules to where everybody has to have their grass cut or their beds maintained, or the trees trimmed by whoever the association hires. I've seen that happen plenty of times, uh, where they actually rewrite the documents. Um, we've seen where, you know, people have bought condos that with intentions to rent. They rewrite the, the condo docs to say you can't have a rental. Um, now, short-term rentals, they have are, you know, basically outlawing those, whether you like them or not. Um, 
you know, do you want somebody telling you what you can and cannot do with your property? I don't like that. Mm -hmm. Do you want to take a caller? Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's take a caller. Awesome. Who do we have? We have Matthew. Matthew. Hello, Hi, Matthew. Matthew, Hello. what's happening? Where are you? You're just a blue I'm screen. In Iowa. The Matthew blue in Iowa. The... We get you voice only. Yeah, well, we tape over all of our uh, cameras as soon as the uh, laptop comes into the office. Uh, man, are you are you one of these cybersecurity guys? You're afraid if somebody sees oh. your picture, they're gonna give you a deep fake? No, I we just we just don't trust Google. Um, back Where are you to, calling from? Uh, energy efficiency. I'm calling from Fort Dodge, Iowa. All right. And I actually teach building science around the upper Midwest. And what the guy Chicago was talking about, um, some of this, yes, is a good idea. However, the renewables... You need to empty the bank on conservation before you spend the first dollar on renewable. The payback is double. So what he was talking about doing is reducing air infiltration and in installing an exterior insulation system. Um, it's I know uh, what he's talking about. We, we do the same thing here in Maryland. You got to get blower door tests. You got to do. I mean, I know the whole. I used to build. I knew the whole thing. I get it. I'm in an area we don't have to do the blower dough test. We don't have codes telling us to do this. What I'm saying is you can probably increase your cost by about 10% but cut your energy in half, literally. The, uh, uh, the variable speed mini splits and heat pumps are great compared to electric resistance heat, but gas is still cheaper. It's still cold. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's um, still cold air. The, You're walking uh, around with a sweater. When I spend money on a house, I don't want to be cold if I don't want to be cold. If I want to turn the heat on, I expect it to be hot. I guess he didn't like that. Maybe not. That's <laughs> all right, Matt. That's all right. Matt, we appreciate you calling in, man. Thank I'm you. sorry. I don't, you know, I get it. I know. I work with all the building engineers in the world uh you know uh variable heat pumps it's cold mm -hmm. it's cold depending on where you live if you live in florida hey you probably will do all right when it gets down to 65 degrees if you're in maryland and we're gonna have a 25 degree night like tomorrow night i think put on a sweater you know you're gonna be walking around your house with a a hoodie a hoodie yeah bundled bundled oh, up oh we connection. lost connection that's all right all right okay all right all right. Any more questions before we move on? I want yeah. to talk about this new Biden-Harris while we're lighting it up. Yes. Let's light it up. We've got one here. I wish someone from the builder's sales team would give us some truths anonymously. Tell us, are the builders worried? How low will they go on the new homes? How much inventory do they really have? Tell. You know, uh, Melly, I tell you, you know, um, we don't have... the the new construction that you would find in Florida, Texas, or Arizona. Uh, we, we just don't, I mean, we do have a lot of new homes, but I can tell you these builders have deep pockets now. I mean, they're, they're quite wealthy, so they can hold out for a period of time. Um, you know, I think the, the deal is, is, you know, uh, 
I think everyone is waiting and hoping that the Fed is going to drop interest rates down to something ridiculous and that it's going to open the floodgates of buyers again. And, you know, um, we're just going to turn on inflation at that point. So I think that um, it's all going to depend on what happens now that the uh, forbearance programs are pretty much over. You know, will we see a, an uptick in foreclosures? If we start to see where these new communities, and this is where the builders will get in trouble. If we see, let's just take a subdivision of, let's just say 300 homes. And let's say that they've half sold that subdivision. So they've sold 150 houses over the period of the last two years. If we start to see those homes that were the pre the previous sales hit the market again at a fire sale or a distressed sale that's where these builders are going to start to really get in trouble because if they start selling these existing homes for less than what they can sell these new homes for and they're only two years old that's going to put a lot more pressure on these home builders. So I think, you know, a lot of it's just going to be where these delinquencies showing up. You know, uh, we know they're going to show up in the new home construction because these are the these are the buyers that paid the highest premiums for the construction for their homes. They paid the highest amount and they were OK doing it because they didn't want to bid on. They got tired of bidding on homes. So the uh, of the new sales that that I sold was involved with, or our brokerage was involved with new home sales. They were basically clients that were like, I just want to buy a new home. I don't want to negotiate. I just want to walk in the door, see the price sheet. And here's what the builders were doing. They were jacking the prices up every sale. So the new month would come that they could release five or seven sales in the subdivision. That's it. The first house was offered at this price. The second price was higher. The third one was higher. The fourth one was higher. The fifth one was higher. The seventh one was the highest. They were literally pressuring these buyers into buying the crappiest lots and paying the most amount of money like that. If you don't make a decision right now, this is the price of the house at $859. If you don't make a, a decision to buy this house today, my three other salespeople have a backlog of people that are going to buy it. So though, no, they weren't bidding, but they were paying the most amount of money for these houses, ridiculous prices for these houses. It doesn't matter what the interest rate is. And that's what we tell people when they say, date the rate, date the rate, blah, 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 blah. date the rate, refinance. You can't always refinance. That's a lie. It's the worst thing a lender could tell you, in my opinion. You better be happy with the payment right now if you can't refinance. These 2-1 buy-downs, garbage. In my opinion, garbage. Risky. People are already stressed out. 50% of their income, you know, debt-to-income ratio, 60% of debt-income ratio. These people are maxed out, Right. So what's going to happen here, and because of all these other callers that are saying, oh, we want to put sustainable energy, you know, well, renewable energy, we want to have all this crap. When these things break, you're really screwed. I mean, what they're charging, repair rates, things like that, it's crazy. But my point is, is that people overpaid for these houses. 
at the highest level and for a bargain interest rate. If you want to move, ladies and gentlemen, what does that rate mean to you? Nothing. If you're getting called across the country for a new job or you realize that you made a mistake, you got a great rate. All oh, the people aren't going to sell. They're in their comfort zone with their great rates. You know what? Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people that don't have mortgages at all, and they're getting booted. Flint, Michigan, look it up. I think 240 or whatever, one investor went in last week or the week before or whatever recently and bought up 209 houses, I think, in Michigan, in and around Flint for tax sales. The so people didn't have mortgages, but yet couldn't pay their property taxes for two years, right? So when we're hearing these you know, mainstream media headlines about how these people are comfortable in their houses with their 3% mortgages, some may be, but there are a lot of them that aren't, right? So I think as we get into these new home communities where these buyers were pressured, you're in the first one of the month, I can only sell seven of them. Mm -hmm. Are you going to pay this price? Let me know today because if you don't let me know by 4.30 today, it's gone. And they're like, oh my gosh, well, we don't want to bid on a house. We don't want to go back to Todd and go put 15 other offers in. But well, we know that we can buy this one for $850. It was six hundred two years ago. Let's just do it. At least we know what our costs are. Then they get into the house and they realize the quality is terrible. The house is falling apart already. Their carpet seams are showing up. Their carpet was crap. It was the cheapest that you could put in. And all you did was walk on it in your socks. And now you can see pathways everywhere. Or that, you know, your boards twisted, your doors warped because the they were building these houses yeah. within weeks. Yeah. Pouring down rain, boom, we're, you know, we're putting in all this stuff in. It doesn't matter. That A lot of the houses that I've seen, guys, and this is me walking through them. They had water problems. They didn't care about the grading issues. We'll deal with it later. You just call us back when you have floods in your basement. You just have you have issues. You have problems. We're talking about big builders, right? Just jamming them. Let's build these things as fast as we can, man. We know this train is going to end. We got to make sure that we can charge the top dollar that we can for these houses. Because who knows where the you know how long we can do it for. These aren't stupid people. These are analysts that, you know, some of Wall Street's top analysts that are putting these things together. You know, we're dominating this market over here or we're going to control the inventory over here. We're going to hold back the inventory and not put it on. We're going to play games with people, put for sold signs on them, but you really canceled contracts. And then we'll build them and we'll call them quick move-ins. They're, they're games and games and games, man. It's all it's propaganda. A lot of it is propaganda, right? It's all going to come out because the only thing that is the best medicine, ladies and gentlemen, is time. Mm -hmm. Time. You can only kick it down the road, but so far until the problems start showing up. And when we talked about a housing bubble, the biggest housing bubble, 33 years in the housing market, in one aspect or another, going 34 years. Right, 1989, I started as a contractor, right? This is the worst that I've ever seen. Despite how bad interest rates were back in the 80s and the 90s, you put 20, 30% down on your house. 
you could afford it because you weren't paying the taxes that you're paying today. Half the taxes didn't even exist. The new tax, the taxes, the tax, the taxes, right? So you kept more of your money, even though you made less money, you kept more of it. So you could afford on a single paycheck, you know, mom was, you know, working at home, you know, you could afford on a single paycheck to have a roof over your family's head. It was a three bedroom, one bath house. It didn't have, you know, 14 extra rooms, nine foot ceilings that cost a thousand dollars a month to heat, mm -hmm. right? Nine foot ceiling. You got to have nine foot because people are getting taller. Ladies and gentlemen, people are getting taller. We have eight foot people. Now we need nine foot ceilings. But you could put the Christmas tree in the you nine foot ceiling. You could put a nine-foot Christmas tree. There you go. Right. And pay $6,000 to heat the house over five months. Mm. Let's go to the Biden-Harris. That takes us perfect segue. Perfect segue in here. And I'm not picking on the administration. I'm just, we're talking about, we're just talking about what's on the... Facts. Facts. Yeah. Whitehouse.gov. Let's look at it. Facts, fact sheet. Facts, fact Did sheet. Did you read that or you just? No, Man, I didn't. You're awesome. Oh, thank All you. All right, let's go. Here we go. Let's get to the meat of it. Today, what what, what date is this, Joe? Let's for to contextualize. October twenty seventh. October what? Twenty seventh. Oh, right there. October twenty seventh. Yep. Here we go. Today, the Biden Harris administration is announcing. You're making it too big. I can't read it. I've got my picture over it. You got to make it smaller. Today, the Biden Harris administration is announcing new actions to support the conversion of high vacancy commercial buildings to residential use. I'm going to have fun with this, including through new financing, technical assistance and sale of federal properties. These announcements will create maybe they're selling their properties because they're broke. These announcements will create. Well, they sent them all home is what it is. And then half a lot of these properties in areas that they deem not safe for their employees to go. Did you see some of those headlines? Mm -hmm. Like stay home, everybody. It's not safe to come to work because of the unrest outside of the building. These announcements will create much needed housing that is affordable, energy efficient, near transit, good jobs this is great. To reduce greenhouse gas, gas emissions, nearly 30% of which comes from the building sector. Office and commercial vacancies across the country are affecting urban downtowns and rural main streets. All right, here we go. This is their answer to affordable housing. If the government would stay out of it, we would have affordable housing because it would correct naturally based on what people can afford, truly afford. People want to own a home. They don't want to live in an apartment. A lot of these people, we already have apartments. We have a glut of apartments. If you don't think we have a glut of apartments, wait till next year and you'll see as everybody's competing trying to get you to rent their apartment. And we have plenty of housing too. It was funny. One of the commenters on my channel uh, said, how can housing prices go down when we don't have enough houses for people to live? We have plenty of houses for people to live. People have two and three houses. They just turn them into short-term rentals. Right? So we've taken the housing and we're hoarding it. Mm-hmm. We're hoarding housing.
whether it's short-term rentals or just people have extra homes, right? We, when we start seeing this inventory coming on the market, you're going to realize that we don't have a housing shortage. What we have is a seller shortage because they're waking up to the fact that they're going to need to sell their house because of the costs that are associated with owning them. Questions? We have, well, first of all, a couple people are asking Nobody how... Nobody else is coming on, man. They're like, away yet saw you guys talk to those oh, last gosh. two Well, callers. David's yes, actually sir. waiting. But I do huh? just want to say, you guys, if in the live chat, if you go up to the very top, it's pinned. That's how you can click the link to get in to the queue to wait to have your question answered. I, so, I want to talk, before we do that, before, yeah. I, want to, I want to talk about the, 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 the Great Depression <laughs> since we're coming into Thanksgiving. Okay. Talk about some facts. Mm -hmm. Take a little walk down memory lane. You know, it's interesting because our thumbnail said the Great Depression in 2025. I mean, we're in the biggest bubble we've ever been in. We're in the most worst financial crisis we've ever been in. Home prices crashed 67, up to 67% in the... Um, the Great Depression, but let's just kind of talk about it. Um, almost a hundred years ago, it was it was the worst economy in modern times, right? The the uh, the Great Depression from 1929 until the beginning of the World War II in 1939. What were some of the causes of it? You're going to find this kind of interesting because it's almost like where we are right now: slowing consumer demand, mounting consumer debt, decreased industrial production, reckless expansion of the U.S. stock market, bank failures. Here's what we haven't seen yet. Unemployment did top 20% by 1933. President, Presidents Herbert uh, Hoover and Franklin Roosevelt tried to stimulate the economy with a range of incentives, <clears throat> including Roosevelt's New Deal programs, but ultimately, it took manufacturing production increases of World War II to end the Great Depression. What was happening leading up to the Great Depression? The Roaring Twenties. I mean, we had a booming economy, right? I mean, look at the last several years. Uh, the nation's wealth more than doubled between 1920 and 1929. The stock market was at the scene of reckless speculation as everyone poured money into stocks. If you look at a lot of these stocks, and I'm not a stock market guy, I'm not a financial advisor, you do not want me to advise you. I've only ever lost money in the stock market. Um, it's gambling. <clears throat> I'm just not a good gambler. Don't like to gamble. But if you look at what some of these stocks are trading to earnings, if you don't, I mean, that seems kind of, stock market was the scene of reckless speculation as everyone poured money into stocks. Stock market reached a peak in 1929. So the beginning of the crash, let's talk about that. We entered into a mild recession in the summer of 1929, mild recession. We were in a mild recession. We were told that it wasn't a recession. They redefined recession. Consumers slowed spending. 
unsold goods began to pile up. However, the stock prices continued to rise. But nervous investors sold a record of 12.9 million shares on October 24th, 1929, known as Black Thursday. Then October 29th, five days later, it was Black Tuesday, 16 million shares sold off. Boom, just like that. Mm -hmm. Many lost their jobs. Others who kept their jobs were paid less wages and buyer buying power decreased. And, you know, then Hoover, it's interesting, on the recovery, Hoover administration supported failing banks and other institutions with government loans with the idea that banks would lend to businesses so that they could hire back employees. I mean, come on, man. That seemed like deja vu. It certainly does. All right, Joe. Let's 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 do this clip at two fifteen here. Financial services business mostly. I manage money. I own a a family of mutual funds, Europe Pacific funds. We manage uh, separate accounts for, for clients. I kind of na made a name for myself in the, the 2000s, you know, 2002 through the financial crisis because I was out there warning about the crisis. I was one of the few people who was, and I was going on a lot of the cable news stations, uh, CNNs, Fox, CNBC, Bloomberg. I spoke with a lot of uh, newspapers and magazines warning about the consequences that were, you know, waiting for us as a result of the mistakes that the Fed had made, uh, Alan Greenspan and, and keeping interest rates too low for too long and the moral hazards uh, inherent uh, with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and, and what had gone on in the mortgage market. And I even wrote a book, uh, Crash Proof, How to Profit from the Coming Economic Collapse. It came out in February of 07. And then when everything collapsed, I was, you know, one of the few people who, you know, had been, uh, you know, predicting it. CNBC had labeled me Dr. Doom, you know, every time I came on, you know. And, and most you know, people made fun of me for these poor forecasts. I mean, they didn't really take it seriously. But I still... Wow. I mean... That says a lot right there, guys. You you know, you really, if you're interested, you should check out the whole show. It's only an hour. I mean, it's, Peter has a whole lot of uh, great knowledge to share. And, you know, the thing about it is you just can't turn your head to it. I mean, you, you can sit there. I, somebody just commented, <clears throat> you know, no crash or something, only inflation. Inflation would be a crash. People can't afford inflation. They can't afford inflation. <clears throat> what you have to realize here, and I don't know how many ways to say this, <clears throat> as an employer, as somebody that has employed people since 1989, business owners are broke. They're tapped out. Most small businesses, they don't have the money to just, they're already paying. <clears throat> don't... Understand something. One of the largest wage growth periods that we've had in the last several decades was during COVID. 
where employers had to recruit and, and pay people more money. Construction workers went from you know $12 an hour to $20 an hour, $25 an hour. <clears throat> There's no more money. There's no more money for these employers to pay. There's only automation to eliminate the employees. Let's get our heads out of the sand. If you want to sit there and say we're going to have hyperinflation and that is not an all-out crash, I don't know. I, you know something that I don't know. Hopefully, you've written paychecks for more than 33 years. Right? And that's the problem that I have with a lot of the politicians. I mean, I've been to these, you know, whatever, yeah, rah, rah, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to champion small business. And the first thing, if I have an opportunity to talk to them, I remember... Um, um, gosh, the guy's all over. Um, I, I can't even remember his name. And I know it like my own name. He's on Fox and whatever. I was at one of these campaign things and I've gone to both the, you know, whatever, both sides of the aisle, uh, here in Maryland. I mean, mm -hmm. we're, you know, we are a very blue state. Uh, but anyway, so you have to go, I mean, you, 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 you have to hear what everybody has to say. Right. And, you know, the, if I get an opportunity to talk to him, the first thing I say is you're, you're championing small businesses. How many checks have you written? Have you, how many have your signature on the right hand side of the bottom of the check? Because most of these politicians have never written a check, right? They want to talk about how businesses operate and how small businesses, let me tell you, small businesses take their paycheck when they can't afford to pay themselves and they stick it in the drawer so that they pay their other employees. I talk to these people. I am one of these people, right? Small business. There's no magic here. Prices go up. What's going to happen? We've already seen the biggest stimulus. We are in the worst financial crisis we've ever been in with the most stimulus we've ever handed out. We printed more money in two years than we did in 200 years. We are now a global economy, thank you very much, since the 1980s when we took 4,000 of our manufacturing jobs and shipped them offshore so that we could have cheaper products that really aren't cheaper. We pay more for things and we don't even get them or they break because they're junk. So if we're going to look at things and say and we're going to be ignorant to the fact that things can only go up. Show me where the magic is here. I think we've gotten ourselves boxed in to where, you know, now we've got to experience the, the hangover. Talk to a 30-something right now. Ask them how much credit card they debt. I was talking to one of my agents. We were talking about our kids. And, you know, and I said, do, do your kids have credit card debt? He's like, I don't know. I said, ask them. Chances are they do. The great financial crisis developed slowly. This was not a fast-moving thing, okay? In 2007, subprime, subprime lenders began to file for bankruptcy, right? We were bailing out. I mean, when you look at subprime now, like I said before, it's the government is the subprime lender. They're the ones that bought all the mortgage-backed securities. They're the ones that lowered the interest rates and let the house prices run you know, higher than they've ever been before. Now you, we realize that these people are like, these people can't afford their payments. Mm -hmm. 
hello, I mean, come on, man. Did you really think that they could? I mean, you don't think that they're going to have trouble paying for their houses now? They're paying more for their real estate than they ever have. We're paying more for everything than we ever have before. <clears throat> Prime and subprime borrowers took advantage of lower rates. The lower rates didn't save it. The lower rates didn't save it. The lower rates back then when they dropped rates didn't save it. We did the same thing. If you look at the people that bought houses back in 2004, 2005, 2006, they were buying subprime. What do you think about the amount of mortgage fraud that's on the books right now from people who bought houses because the interest rates were low and they were saying that they were going to live in it and they turned them into rentals and they're not really priced the same way as they should be. And now their costs are going up. You don't think that's a subprime type of loan? I mean, it's a, a lot of cases it's fraud. It's mortgage fraud. They said they were going to live in the place and they didn't. <clears throat> so they weren't qualified properly. 2004, 2005, 2006, people were buying second and third homes just like they are now because it was Lehman Brothers that was backing the subprime mortgage back in the day and they just wiped them out. They didn't rescue them. You know, they just rescued banks at massive scale March 12th weekend and beyond. <clears throat> we didn't do that early on. If you don't start, if you can't see the same markers that are now that were back then, I don't know why I, you're not you're not looking at the data. You're not looking at the data. Most of the defaults were not subprime. Look at the data. Most of the defaults were prime mortgages. Most of the people walking away from their houses were people that realized that their home price declined to a point that they didn't want to pay their mortgage anymore. They walked away. So we, we can't just be ignorant to the fact, guys. We have to look at the data. Right? Listen. Goldman Sachs, Merle Lynch, Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, and Morgan Stanley They leveraged, back then, the SEC dropped the reserve requirement for those companies. Those five too-big-to-fail companies. They allowed them to leverage their investments by 30 to 40 times. What are the banks doing today? When you deposit, they're doing it 10 times. I mean, when you deposit your money, there's no reserves in the banking system. There's no vault money that they need to be required to keep, right? So what's happening is these banks are taking your deposit and they're selling it 10 times, right? Your $1,000 deposit. You know, they put 100 here, 100 here, 100. You know, they're selling it, lending it out, right? When these defaults are coming in or they're losing money on it, where's the, they're going to need to be bailed out. 2006 was the peak. It was the peak, 2006. It was in 2008, two years later, that the economy was in a full-blown recession.
Let's take some questions. Yeah. How about a caller? All right. Does that sound good? Yeah. How about David? Let's add David in. All right. David, are you going to tell me about, uh, are you going to tell me about um, Uh, high efficiency homes or green energy? (laughs) I'm not sure about that. Um, You mentioned the data. I've looked at the data and the current rents alone are 400% of minimum wage. And it's the same thing as it was 100 years ago in 1929. That's and scary. I, I also noticed uh, you said uh, you mentioned Hoover. He was the one that kicked it off in the first place with all these zoning restrictions. And it, it's just like uh, last week you had a caller come in, uh, mentioned uh, Intel coming in, and those jobs are going to be coming from California wages. It's going to be the over in Columbus, Ohio. I live in Whitehall, and we have the highest rent. Our property taxes just revalued 68%. They went up. Mm. And that's because we uh, Kroger's, they bought an empty lot. Like It's like two-acre empty lot of just nothing there at 4.2 million and the value was only 750,000 and our it's our local politicians like oh yay that's great our taxes went up so that's they call it economic growth like your tax is going to go up your rent's going to go up your maintenance going to go up wages it that's inflation and it, it's just I'm leaving I don't want to be anywhere in the area. It's, uh, and I sent a Google Doc. I've graphed, I went through, looked through history. I have graphed everything. Um, looking into zoning code as to why people can't get a job. It causes crime. And also, we blame our federal government, but it's actually our local politicians because they create laws like no one will be uh, denied a home but the federal government has to clean up the mess and they pay that extra that those local citizens can't afford to pay you're only making 700 i've talked to people who make 600 a month but their rent is 1200 dollars. numbers don't work and our local government's like yay you know we're, we're we're growing i'm like you are blind. You are you. You got to look at everything. A great leader looks at every <clears throat> single thing from top to bottom. Well, the problem is, you know, these politicians they they're afraid that they won't get reelected. But you're right. I mean, it's the county councilman. You know, I mean, it's you know, it, it it's it is the local governments that right. um, you know that that could they could make a lot of the changes. It's our you know the Senate. Um, you know, I mean, our, our local senators, I mean, it's right, you know, but you know, Hey, look, I appreciate you chiming in, man. We, we, uh, you know, it's, it's frustrating because, you know, without having people call in that, you know, are, are educated like yourself that know that, uh, what we're hearing is not right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can, you know, you can 
cut it up as many ways as you want. But the fact of the matter is, is that people are in debt right. and, and they're not getting out of debt. And, you know, and if we start talking about hyperinflation, which, yeah, I mean, it's going to, it's going to happen. I mean, how can it not happen? Right. Um, you know, I mean, we're a world economy. I mean, one of the things that I learned uh, and Brent Johnson, I mean, you guys are going to love this episode this Saturday. Um, you know, uh, he, you know, is the CEO of Santiago Capital. And, you know, uh, you know he talks about, you know, what happened with, uh, you know, how we became the, the world currency, the reserve currency and the euro dollar, not the euro, but the euro dollar. And, you know, what I learned, you know, sitting down with him is, you know, when we print money, it's not just for, I mean, we think that all this stimulus was for us during, you know, COVID. And we say, well, how's it gone? How's, how do we not have it? How can we print, you know, airdrop money and, you know, and, 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 you know, all the PPP and all this, you know, which by the way, I didn't have a penny of, and, you know, um, where does it, where did it all go? Like, how are we broke again? Like, how are we in more debt than we, you know, now than we were before then you know we dropped the interest rates we pump money into the economy everybody's spending the money and it's going straight in we're the largest buyer of gross domestic products in the world right so what happens is we printed the money to bail out the world economy it wasn't for us it was the world economy right i mean so when, when we're looking at there's the demand for the dollar so they have to print it and we have to spend it to get it into, you know, these other, you know, economies, these other countries. And, you know, and so they and they use the dollar, they weaponize the dollar as well, uh, you know, based on who these swap lines are with. And I, I, I'm getting too far down the weeds tonight. But guys, if you want to really deep dive into what is really going on with the economy and how, you know, uh, you know, Brent feels that we will have an ultimate dollar collapse it will happen he doesn't think it's going to happen in our lifetime but we are going to see hyperinflation there's going to be a lot of changes and there are a lot of things that we can do if we're not ignorant to it that we can better prepare ourselves for and one of the reasons why i like the show so much is not to say that i'm right or wrong or you know i was watching firsthand i had a front row seat to this housing market ramp up, this crisis. <clears throat> and I watched what people went through. The main thing I tried to do is not tell people not to buy a house. The main thing I tried to do through this channel was to say, look, just slow down. Get your freaking bearing straight. You know, come to your senses. You know, stop the auctions. You know, like like that mentality, you know, get back off of it. You know, it's like gambling. You know, you get addicted to it. You you know, and you win a game and then you lose the next five. And, you know, it's like that was the purpose of, you know, kind of letting everybody know that, hey, look, this is out of line, guys. This is out of whack. This is not this is not normal. It's not a normal market. And we know it's not normal because not because of me. You got Jay Powell that's saying, Oh, well, 
oh, housing affordability has gotten a little bit out of whack. We need a correction. We need to, you know, a shelter inflation is a large part of CPI. And, well, you know, here's where we are, but we're not including, you know, housing in that number. We're not including, you know, our utility costs in that number. Or what? what? Come on, man. Well, if we know it's the biggest part, why aren't we talking about it? Why did we wait so long? Why did we not raise interest rates sooner? Why aren't we cutting the red tape tomorrow and building affordable communities? Why aren't we getting the goods and the products and the services that we need? Let's get it done. You know, and let's stop fighting and dividing between, you know, the parties and come together and identify the fact that we have a, we have a, a debt crisis here. We have an affordability crisis. Shouldn't we focus on us here first and ability for us to pay our bills and have good paying jobs and be able to afford to go out and buy things like a house? Shouldn't that be a priority? Instead of cheerleading and saying, well, guys, get on the sidelines because, you know, soon as the interest rates have a five in front of them, you're going to see home prices soar to 20%. Geez, that, that, that's helping. That's helping the situation. People are already paying $5,000, $6,000 a month for a medium price home. By the time they throw their taxes or insurance or HOA, they're, you know, not even counting replacements. Who can afford that? That's $60,000 a year after tax money. How much do you need to make if you have two people making $50,000 that they're lucky, $60,000 a year? And you're talking about $60,000 after tax money just to pay your house payment? That's whacked, man. Mm -hmm. My, I, I wanted to add another thing. Um, the federal government... I forgot actually, you were there. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> I was interested. Um, the oh, federal government God. is trying to raise the, I've been <laughs> back and forth with my local, with my state senator, I'm sorry, federal, and they're trying to raise the minimum wage to $17 an hour. Yet, even in Columbus, where we have, like, you take the east side, we have nothing but stores. It's fast food, you know, Best Buy, just simple, get, uh, graduate high school, go get a job. You should be making starting out at minimum wage, but the rent is twelve hundred, thirteen hundred a month, and so they're trying to raise the minimum wage to seventeen in the next three years. There's your inflation. Well, forget kids That's having jobs. <laughs> I mean, you're not hiring a fifteen-year-old, so you can forget that. So if you're fifteen or sixteen and you're listening, yeah. uh, you better start your own companies. They, uh, they've removed some restrictions. Also, um, the taxpayers are paying for all this uh, new development. Anything that gets demolished because of the way the tax code is set up. Uh, we had a derelict area. It was bad water and everything built in the 60s area. And so the city sued the, sued the guy they got about $200,000 out of him. It took two years to sue the guy. And, well, you know, that right there pays for our lawyer, our, our local lawyer. So, you know, that just money went away. But then they settled on a deal. They said, we will pay you $9 million of taxpayer money 
to purchase that property from you. And then we, the county, will pay $1.5 to demolish it. Then on top of that, we uh, the next year, we're putting another million dollars into it. And then another, the year, next year, the local taxpayers, a suburb who only holds 20,000 people, is paying an, an additional $10 million to put in the pavement for the parking. And that's only phase two out of four. How much are the taxpayers are going to get? This is taxing the poor to pay the rich. They might as well take my credit card. They do take credit card here in Maryland. <laughs> you, can I, pay your ta- you can pay your tax bill with credit card. They I, charge you a fee too. I am fed up. I, I'm, I've been doing my research. I'm sitting here taking notes. I've got recordings and everything. And they only give us a couple minutes at uh, city council meetings. Well, I've got a small local council meeting. And I'm they think that's there. too long. Yeah. I'm going to go in there in a military class, uh, sorry, dress blue uniform and tell them I am done. I'm going to take my 20, 30 minutes of my time. I'm going to hand them my credit card and just I, I'm done. They they support the military, but they tax us and they give it to these companies and they won't let me build a twenty, thirty thousand dollar house next to a three hundred thousand dollar house on an empty lot that's just sitting there doing nothing, growing trees. No, they don't want that. They everybody wants affordable housing, but not in their neighborhood. Don't you know that? That's exactly what they're doing is they're trying to kick the poor out because they turn But what the they're going to do is they're going to make accessory dwelling units legal all across the country so you could actually have apartments and in, in in Washington and in California now they've taken that from you know one apartment that you can now have several ADUs on the same property and they take it from well you have to be the uh, the owner. You have to live there. You think you got problems? Let me tell you something, folks. <laughs> you think you have problems with Airbnb and short-term rentals? You wait until people start putting accessory dwelling units in their house, which are apartments in their house, and then they're moving out and they're using it as a you know as a full-blown investment property. And uh, you just paid seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars to live next to you know three apartments. Um, and there's parking in the street now because they're going to say, well, you can't have parking in the street. You have to have on-site parking. Come on. On a Friday night or Saturday or whatever, you're going to have – who's going to enforce – first of all, who's going to enforce it? Because it would be unfair to do so. I mean, we already know that, you know, they are, you know, weaponizing uh, tenants against their landlords in a lot of these cities now. And I mean, here in Maryland, um, they're entitled to attorneys. If you evict them as of October one in Baltimore city, they get an attorney. Uh, if you're, if they're not paying your rent, you go to kick them out, then they can hire an attorney and sue you. And, uh, you know, city appointed attorney and, you know, you've got all kinds of other things. Well, now all of a sudden you get tenants living in the neighborhood in accessory dwelling units, and you're going to tell them that they can't put their car out on the street well, if you can't evict them, you're not going to certainly tell them that they can't put their car out on the street. Uh, so, I mean, it's, you know, look, 
you said it. You have to, you know, your your local, uh, you know, government. Your uh, yep. Anyway, all right, man. We're gonna let you go. We're gonna quick, take quick take another thing. caller here. It's getting late. We're almost at real quick. At, you mind the, uh, just a couple of quick things? One, I said uh, I would like you to go out to Carmel, Indiana. They solved the problem. A zone by a noise ordinance. ADUs, let's call them what they are, servants' quarters. It's actually still in some of the code books. And I had something else, but I forgot it. But I highly suggest you go out to uh, Carmel, Indiana, if anybody ever gets a chance. They solved it. All right, buddy. Okay. Well, look, we appreciate you, man. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and keep right. keep watching. Keep in touch. All right, thank you. Thank you. All right, God bless. Bye-bye. All right, let's take a couple questions before we take another caller. And uh, Okay. Yeah. That sounds great. <clears throat> so we do have... Give me one second here. Question. It's like a Jerry Springer show. It's really... Keeps you on your toes. If we experience another crash, would home value decreases of 70% in some regions be a reasonable assumption? <clears throat> I mean, that would be a all-out Great Depression. I would hope not. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, um, you know, we're, we're going to see, we're going to see bailouts. We know that. Uh, but I do think we're going to see further price declines. I just do. And again, I mean, you guys, if you're in the market to buy a house and you have a house, I mean, I just had a buyer consult. They're probably listening uh, because they came in Saturday, sat down with me and uh, you guys don't, you know, they were surprised. I think that I sat down with them. Um, and, uh, I mean this, I really do real estate. <laughs> this is not just, you know, I mean, you can, if you're in Maryland and you want to buy something, you can reach out now. I'll help you. Uh, if you have a home to sell, I'll help you. But we sat down on Saturday, a buyer consult, they came into the office and, um, you know, look, we went over a checklist and I said, you know, and we're talking about price. We're also talking about the lawsuit and, you know, the way we get paid and, you know, that kind of thing. But um, if you if find a property that checks all the boxes and you're planning on being there for seven years, 10 years, and you can get a good deal and you can find a house. I mean, what I like to do is find out what their motivations are for buying, what, you know, how they're going to utilize the home through the years and and then try and develop a plan and what i said was look if you guys are able you're young you're able you have some cash if you can buy something that needs to be some improvement there are deals out there right now there are houses that people don't want to do anything they want to move in they don't want to redo a kitchen the kitchen could be perfectly functional but it has green tile backsplash or orange countertops from the 1960s if it checks the boxes and it's a great property and you know you can live in it and you can put some sweat equity over the years and you're going to stay there seven or ten years you can find some good deals right now so don't try and time the bottom you just have to be smart and pay attention you know what's it going to cost you to live there over the next several of years are you using all your cash if you're buying do you have a bank account a reserve account you know can you 
sustain a downturn for six months? These are common sense questions. <clears throat> you know, if all the boxes check and you find a place, by all means, buy a house. You know, one of the things, and we're not going to get to the clip, but if you watch the 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 show with Peter Schiff, we had a joke on the trip. It was called uh, that it was going to be a complete shift show. I like that. Get it? Oh, I get it. Right. Of so course. we we had fun with that. But anyway, that's good. Um, that's good. Anyway, what you have to realize is that, and and I say this on the complete flip side of everything that else that we've talked about, is that a house is you're buying a lifestyle. You just don't want it to be a bad lifestyle. You don't want it to be a money pit, a problem that you can't afford. But a house is a depreciating asset, and you can light up the comments all you want, but it's the truth. If it wasn't a depreciation asset, depreciating asset, we wouldn't have something called a teardown, where the house was in complete demise, not fixed up for 20 years. You just lived in it, and you destroyed it because it fell, it fell down around you. You have to spend money on a house. You're going to spend money on it. You're going to fix it. You're going to renovate it. So, and you're paying taxes, insurance. So you have to be able to afford it. If you can afford it, then God bless you. Then buy it. Let's go ahead and take the super chats. Here. I will. We got this one. It's a great, great question. And I know we got some. We we've got some people on deck here. I don't know that we're going to get to all of you, but we'll try. If we'll we try. can be quick, if you're listening and you can be precise, yes. we can probably roll through. Okay. We've got Mike. In your opinion, how will the lawsuits regarding commission splitting impact buying, selling real estate in the future? Mike, um, I think what's going to happen is we're going to see probably more downward pressure and transparency on uh, on commissions. Commissions are 100% negotiable. They always have been, but the broker can still decide what they want to work for you know it's funny because these attorneys that are pushing for price fixing <clears throat> you know saying that things are price fixed i mean what about their fees are they price fixed i mean do they come up i mean if, if you're a service provider and you decide what you're willing to work for based on your business costs i think what got carried away and i had a i had a conversation with an agent uh, a brilliant agent by the way brilliant agent he's in our network um in fact, we have a video coming out on our other channel called Real Estate Insider, and this guy's a pro. And um, anyway, he said that he's been, um, you know, he started out in during COVID and the, the height of it, talking about buyers, agents <clears throat> not being worth what they were being paid. And you know, we didn't go over numbers or anything like that, but the fact of the matter is this is how he explained it. And I think this is what most of the public is upset about, <clears throat> is that the buyer for the better part of the rush, the gold rush in real estate, where the the uh, the buyers were basically giving all of their rights away, all their contingencies up just to be the top bidder and win the deal. They found the property on their own. And I experienced this as a listing agent because I do more listings than than sales, than buyers. I manage, so I mean, it's it's just hard for me to handle a whole lot of buyers while I'm running a company. But when you have the buyer's agent didn't find the property, the buyer found it on Zillow. The buyer knows that it's an open house on Saturday. The buyer, you know, 
the agent agent in some cases didn't even send them that property and maybe that's not the buyer's agent's fault because the, the buyers will give you criteria and then the agents will set that criteria up but the buyers will expand it on their own and find find certain houses but anyway they go and look at it on their own they were in standing room only they talked to the listing agent uh, they want to put an offer in or like begging like hey i'm gonna tell my agent you know i want to put an offer on this then the agent calls up, the buyer's agent. I've experienced it myself. The buyer, if you're an agent listening, you know what I'm saying is true. Agent called up. You may have been doing this. Agent calls up and says, uh, yeah, Todd, uh, you know, my buyer came through your open house uh, today, and uh, they're really excited. They want to buy the house. Is it worth me putting an offer in? Well, what? What do you mean is it worth it? Well, you know, I don't want to just, you know, I, 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 do you have multiple bids or you, I don't want to waste my time and putting a contract together just to be, I put eight contracts together for these buyers. <clears throat> Let me ask you something. Why weren't you with your client when they came through the open house? And why are you asking me if it's worth it when you haven't seen it? So what do I say to them? Have you seen the house? Nope. You're going to be an armchair agent. You're not going to get your butt up, go look at that house and say, hey, look, my client wants to put an offer in. I was unable to go to the open house, but I'm going by it right now if it's okay with you because they want to put an offer in and I need to see what the hell they're putting an offer in on. No, they didn't do that. They call up and say, is it worth putting an offer in? Now, all of a sudden, you're sitting at the settlement table and you're like, okay, I'm the listing agent. What did they do? What in the world did the buyer's agent do? Now, if you're a buyer's agent, you might want to try and defend it and say, well, I've been working with them for three months. Well, you, I could work with them for 18 months if I'm sitting in my chair. You know, they should not be putting an offer in on a property that they didn't put their eyes on. So anyway, I think that what's going to happen here, Mike, and I appreciate your super chat, is I think that we're going to be held to better transparency, which is essential. We're entitled to be paid. I don't think anybody's questioning that, right? I don't know. I wasn't sitting in the courtroom, the validity of it, but I do know that I'm entitled to set, you know, our services. I'm not going to fix that price and tell you that that's what everybody else charges because that would be bad. I would say if you want, this is what my cost of service is. If you want to know what the next cost of service is, call them up and interview them. And... You know, there should be free market. But that doesn't mean that you can walk in the store and say, I know you want 10 bucks for this thing, but I'm willing to give you two because the store clerk can say, no, thanks. So, you know, I think what's going to happen is you're going to see, you know, the agents that aren't worth it, that shouldn't be in the business, that are toxic for the transaction, that are harmful for their, their buyers and sellers directly. You know, they don't even have a clue these people that don't care to be educated or don't have the time to show up to sales meetings or don't have leadership and are just, you know, too ignorant to go find somebody that will teach them and will, you know, be willing to do what it takes to learn the industry. They're going to go away. Thank goodness. We need to be cleaned of this type of, of, uh, you know, agent. And then the professionals are going to stand up, they're going to rise up, and they're going to say, we're here to help clients. And, they're going to, and they do a good job, and they're going to continue to do a better job because they're, we're going to be held in better transparency. 
And I think that's a good thing for everybody. We should be all talking about it with our clients. We should be not running from the fact this lawsuit's going to be tied up. I'm sure there's going to be plenty more. We already know that there's going to be anytime you got a lawyer that, you know, sees that they can make a little bit of money at something, they're going to all jump on board with it as fast as they can. Right. And I, and I think we're going to see a lot of brokerages go broke. They're going to go bankrupt. They're going to be some of these brokerages. If these lawsuits stick, are not going to be able to sustain it and they're going to go out of business. So, but that's what I think. I think, I don't think that you're going to see at best case scenario. I think the fairest thing would be to have the buyer pay the buyer's agent and the seller pay the seller's agent. That's the most fair if you're going to look at it, but we have to look at the practicality that the buyer's agents just can't afford to put money down on a house. Maybe if the houses weren't as expensive, maybe if we had let fair market instead of propping it up, maybe the government should be held, you know, at a question about price fixing, dropping interest rates artificially low and letting the prices run up. You know, maybe we should be looking at the buyers and saying we need better affordability all the way around. If we let free market have at the market itself, maybe we'll have fair market value and people will be able to afford a home. Okay. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> so, thank you. And it's getting late. Yeah, it is. Now we get more super chats. Uh, we actually did have one comment here and it was just, um, give me one second. We thank you guys saying. for spending your time with us on a Tuesday night. I think some of you are enjoy logging on here and just listening, uh, counting rants, whatever it is that you do. Yeah. Um, but I love you guys, you know, even, even the ones that don't agree with me and you're on here and you show up every, every week and you speak your piece. Um, I appreciate you. Yeah. So very thankful yes. for everybody. Yep. Yep. Betty, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Betty. Absolutely. Super chat. All right. Let's try and answer really quickly. Go through David. Uh, we already talked to David. Nimesh. All right. We just so have Nimesh and Nimesh Daniel. Let's bring and them Daniel. in. Nimesh. Yep. There we go. Namesh, how are you? Sorry for taking so long to get to you, but where are you calling no, from? No, that's fine. I'm pretty good. I'm from Chicago. Okay. Hello. So, hi. Uh, Hello. Todd and Melissa, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Well, here's something that I've noticed, and this is something that just like, it goes boing. You just notice it just, your eyes bounce out. I've noticed um, developers are building all these brand new luxury apartments all over the place. In Chicago, they're building them all over the place. <laughs> I've noticed in many other cities too, Columbus, Ohio, Dayton, Canton, Terre Haute, Indiana. Terre Haute, number one employers of federal prison. <laughs> uh, I got to wonder what the hell is going on. The suburbs, uh, Hammond, Indiana. So Hammond is like a very much a working class small town. They're even building these things in small towns. What in the world is going on? This seems like. Let me like tell you. I'll tell you what's going on. And just so I know, is it uh, Nimesh? Yeah, Nimesh. 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 Uh -huh. yeah. Nimesh. Yeah. Okay. Nimesh, uh, I'll tell you what's going on. These operators, I mean, when you see a big building going up, I mean, it takes sometimes three to five years before you can stick a shovel in the ground. And that's on the, I mean, that's the fastest uh, with these major subdivisions. So 
What was happening is they got their approvals and permits way before all of this stuff started happening. Money was cheap. And a lot of these operators, and I know a couple of them, a lot of these operators, they raised money from investors to make these buildings happen, right? Uh, you know, they they went and got their SEC, um, you know, uh, credentials and put these companies together so that they can pull money, syndicate money. And now they're in big trouble because what's happening is these costs have gone up and the rent pressures are on them to come down. They're building these luxury style apartments with all of these amenities and they're charging twenty six, twenty eight, thirty six hundred dollars a month for an apartment. And, here's, and, here's, and they're expecting people to be able to afford this. And what's happening is they're coming around now to their, their um, investors and they need to raise more money because costs have gone up, materials have gone up, you know, things they don't have everything that they need. They're making other purchasing decisions and they're telling them we need more money. So they're raising more money. The other thing that's happening with the buildings that were built that they are not cash flowing they are now telling their investors that they need to liquidate these assets for 40 cents on the dollar i just talked to somebody that invested with someone that i know and we've had them on the show and they said that they're having these calls where they're saying you know hey you know we are literally you know you know not cash flowing or whatever and they're having these 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 hard calls People thought that this was going to continue to go up, and when you see these cranes in the sky at this late in the in this late in the game, it they're going to have real big trouble until this glut gets absorbed, which is going to take 12, 18, 24 months in order for this you know uh, this inventory to get absorbed. It's going to be a big problem in, in these cities. And a lot of them are in college towns or around universities. They were yeah. expecting, you know, student housing. You know, more people now can't afford to go to school. They're doing it online. They're getting their master's programs online. They're, get, they're getting their undergrad online. It, they're not going to be moving into these apartments like they expected them to. No, there's um, uh, what I did was I did a little bit of research. I used the American American Community Survey by the Census Bureau. So in certain zip codes in Chicago, the population actually declined. And yet they're building these luxury high-rises, which doesn't make sense to me. Second thing is, check this out. I know some of these neighborhoods. So I work as a police officer, Chicago Police Department. Been doing that for 17 years. So... Uh, the district that I work in, a lot of these, like whatever you call it, hedge funds or real estate funds or real estate investment trust, they came in, they bought up a lot of property. And I've just thought to myself, hmm, a significant portion of the population, uh, they're convicted felons, job status, you know, you're not going to get a decent paying job with that. Unfortunately, I know the neighborhood dynamics. <laughs> I'm like, what in the, I mean, what the hell is going on? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. this is just out of control speculation. It out of control 100%. speculation. I mean, some of the rents, they're charging like Manhattan rents in, in, in some suburbs. And I probably I, I more rents in Manhattan are coming down. <laughs> probably. So, 
Oh well. Well, yeah. I want to. I want you guys to get to the next people. So yeah. Well, thank we you appreciate you, man. Thank you. Stay safe thank out you. there on the streets, and uh, you know, uh, yeah. Thanks for calling. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Thank All you, right. Malachi. Okay. Bye bye. All right. Let's let's go ahead and take Daniel here. And uh, then we'll call it a night. So no more callers after Daniel. We appreciate all of you guys coming on. This is this is fun. It gives us an opportunity. I like it. I hope everybody enjoys yeah. it. Let's see what Daniel has to say. Daniel's gone. Hi, Daniel's gone. No. Hello. 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 Hello, Daniel. Hey, Daniel. Where are you calling from? Uh, I'm calling from the Jersey Shore in New Jersey. Um, hey. So I don't know if you know about the market here, but uh, the housing market is insane in terms of uh, the prices. Um, so I'm currently a distressed seller, as you were describing earlier. Um, unfortunately, bought the house at a great interest rate of two point two and a half percent for a thirty year fixed. Um, but due to unexpected um, housing repairs, I am now over a debt to income ratio. So originally, I was thinking about doing a mortgage refinance, but uh, I guess similar similarly to how um, you were describing earlier about the, the housing must, uh, market uh, bursting soon. Um, I was thinking about selling, um, but I guess the question is now is, is it better to sell and as you were describing just moments and moments ago, sell and buy another property if, if the, if the, um, if I have the assets to do so, or is it better to sell and rent and hope for the bubble to burst and almost come in at, um, when housing, when the housing price is lower again, if it does. You know, I think, uh, you know, my, my advice to you is first steps first. You know, you have to fix what is going on right now. And, you know, and I would say, depending on what the affordability is in the area to what, you know, to your income as to whether you buy something or rent something, you know, the first things first is you need to get out from underneath of what you're in distress. And so I would definitely consult with somebody. If you don't have a good listing agent, reach out to me, send me an email uh, because we do know people in New Jersey. We'll see if, it, if they're serving where you are. Um, but you need somebody that's going to give you a good, fair assessment of the market and your home <clears throat> and find out what it is that you owe, what's the cost going to be to get you out of it. Um, and then, you know, worst case scenario, I mean, if you need to go into a short-term rental for a period of time, I mean, there's plenty of opportunities for that too. I mean, we are seeing softening in a lot of the markets on the short-term rentals, even if you have to go outside of the shore area. Um, but I, but you know, let's get you out from underneath of what you're in because this is what you don't want to wait too long. And and unfortunately, if you decide, you know, hey, I want to try and wait till spring or whatever, I don't know what your financial position is but you don't want to continue getting yourself into a worse situation to where if you're not paying your mortgage now you're looking at foreclosure maybe that's already happening you know maybe you're starting to get your credit you know affected but you want to try and preserve as much of that and limit as much of that as you possibly can you know look Everybody makes mistakes, man. The first thing we have to realize is it's okay to make a mistake. You know, now we got to minimize the the um, you know the effects of what the, what the mistake was. So uh, that's what I would suggest. So I, I think send me an email. Let me hear more about your uh, your specific situation and uh, see if we can't point you in the right direction. Okay, yeah, because I think uh, the thing was was I, the house currently is worth more than what I than what I owe. I bought the house as a strategic buy. 
I was hoping to cash out later in the future um, because like the met like uh, Dimesh said earlier that we were having we're experiencing a lot of redevelopment in the area and a lot of luxury condos and stuff like that um, a lot of people migrating from New York to our area um, yeah but I'm trying to, I'm trying to weigh the options as to hold off and hope for the markets for the house to uh, increase in value more as redevelopment happens or to just pull out now and you need an expert in that area. You, you need an expert in that area to give you good, honest, sound advice. Somebody that doesn't need a paycheck right now. And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the issues with a lot of the agents is, you know, they're, they're running scared right now. And, you know, and when you run scared or you don't have the money and you're running from commission check to commission check, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying this, you know, isn't a real thing because I mean, a lot of agents are suffering right now. You can't just call anybody. Unfortunately, you need to call somebody who knows the market, who understands the market that will tell you honestly to wait. If that means that it could benefit you, um, nobody has a crystal ball, but if you ask somebody, you know, they might, you know, that, that, that is, like I said, desperate for commission check. They may tell you, oh my gosh, you got to sell now. Mm -hmm. The sky's going to fall in your neighborhood or whatever. If you're on the shore, you know, if it's a, you know, vacation resort, I mean, everything matters in every market. So I would want you to have the best, you know, knowledgeable representation, or at least talk to somebody that understands the market that's going to give you their their honest opinion not based on hey i need a sale because you know sales have dropped off 40 50 percent 60 percent for me and i can't afford you know to pay my own mortgage so that i would say you know send me an email and, and and let me see you know let's let's talk a little more about it okay will do thank you all right we You're appreciate welcome. it all right guys hey thank you so much for spending time we wish you a very happy thanksgiving i hope you all get to spend some time with your family and friends, doing what you love, eating the best food. Let's see what the poll did we did we end the poll, Joe? We said who wants what? What's For your favorite side dish? Sides. What did we end up with? I don't know. I think I it was can't stuffing. See it. Can you see it, Joe? There we go. Let's see. Da, da, da. We're gonna get a visual. Is on the that. poll gone? He's gonna pull right, it in. Joe's bringing it in. We appreciate you guys. And look couple things you can certainly help us with uh if you enjoy our show you can share us with your friends uh let's see if we can't spread the word you know try and get down uh some of this uh excitement bring some calm to the market what do we got here stuffing 40 here we go that was my choice stuffing All right vegetarian stuffing well, okay stuff it's good you gotta have stuffing with some meat it's some sausage. delicious, and I'm looking forward to a nice scoop. 900 votes, 49% love stuffing. It's good. <laughs> then sweet potatoes. Also delicious. Cranberry sauce is the least favorite. Mm. <laughs> All right, guys, we love you. We appreciate you. If you like the video, got something out of it tonight, you can let Melissa and I and Joe know that you did by smashing that thumbs up button that's what it's for you hit the thumbs up if you like it if you don't you hit the thumbs down i guess we got to take the good with the bad and if you haven't subscribed you can subscribe now share us with your friends if you would kindly do so and uh we'll see you next time Thanks, we'll Melissa. see you next time thank you todd another great show thank you all so much good night. see you next week